Around Comics, Episode 6. Thank you for listening to another episode of Around Comics, where every week we assemble a new panel to discuss topics in and around the world of comics. I'm your host, Christopher Neesman. Let me introduce you to this week's panel. On your iPod, from left to right, as always, he is my partner in crime and the producer of the show. He is Brian Salazar. Hello again, everyone. And next, a guest that has been here so often that we have started to charge him rent. He is Thomas Caters. Salutations. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Uh, on this week's episode, it is starting a, uh, a big four-week event for us. We are going to deconstruct the happenings around comics. On uh, this week's episode, we're going to take a look at the state of the DC universe. Uh, now, Thomas is our resident DC expert, so we're going to lean on him a lot today. Uh, DC has been very aggressive in pulling together the continuity of their universe in the last really two years. But, uh, Tom, I wanted to start off with you. What do you see the, as the, the real starting point for DC's infinite push? It's actually, to already begin my complicated answers to things, uh, <laughs> there's kind of two ways of looking at it. Uh, one would be identity crisis would be a real good place to start, I think. Um, it definitely would get across a lot of the themes that have been running through all the books since that point, so that would be a good starting point. But in another way, the real starting point is the original crisis on multiple Earths. And uh, as much as DC wants this to be, so, you know, like, its own story, I think knowledge and having read the original crisis definitely would make reading this one more enjoyable. Well, sure, so you, you look at... Yeah. You look at the universe right now, and Infinite Crisis is not only a major nod back to Crisis on on Infinite Earths, but it is it is really I, I don't know if it was planned this way, probably not. But they've done a wonderful job of tying the two mega events together on the anniversary. Um, Sal, I know that uh, I know that you've been keeping up with with quite a bit of the minis. What is the one thing that DC has done that that you're probably most impressed with in the last couple of years? Well, I think I think um, you know they've realized some of the problems that they were getting themselves into um, again, and they wanted to do this big event, obviously. But I think they they also learned from their mistakes last time with with Crisis um, and not trying to reinvent everything. Uh, I think they're trying to sort of not, well, I think they're, they're really, their goal here is to try and reestablish um, characters and the world and certain characters, specifically Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman, and not break it all down, tear it down, and, and start from scratch all over again. So I'm, pr I'm really impressed with their ability to you know one hype you know hype it a lot and and get a lot of people excited about it but at the same time keep the quality there and keep i think most people happy happy with what they've done as far as 
respecting what's gone on in the past yet trying to move forward with something you know completely different because it's difficult to do i mean you look at it, you know the the original crisis and it you know it had so many people up, up in arms because of what they were trying to accomplish and the way they were going about it you know wiping out all these other earths and 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 such you know i think they've they they tried to learn from that and they're trying to to do this huge event and really move forward with you know and, and set things straight in the universe but not you know wipe it clean kind of Attitude. Mm-hmm. I, I, I agree partially, but I also would say that some of the, in retrospect, one of the criticisms of the original crisis is that they didn't go all the way. They didn't completely redo everything. And with this event, and, and you can't, it's beyond an event, with this restructuring of the universe, I think they're going all the way. And, uh, and that is exciting. Uh, Tom, what has been your favorite part of, uh, of the DC universe as a whole in the last couple of years? Uh, well, I've been a really And you can't say the Flash. <laughs> I was going to say Flash, but I was going <laughs> to say something else besides that, too. Um, I think, and it ties into what I think they're doing the best at, uh, you know, at with this whole um, crisis. Is I've always really enjoyed the JSA book a lot because I feel <clears throat> one of the strengths that DC has been playing towards is finding these characters who might have a very complicated past, and you don't need to erase the past to make them simple. You just need to find what makes that character what that character is now. You know, but with the uh, JSA, I mean, if you really wanted to look at their history, I mean, you, you know, your head would explode if you're trying to figure out where, ex- you know, trying to tie in stuff that happened in the past into the current and how they fit in now as opposed to how they fit in pre-crisis. But you can forget that when people write stories that draw you to the now instead of drawing you the past constantly so I always hold it up as one book that's done such a great job for DC of showing how rich of a history they have Absolutely, and one thing that I look at in the DCU, growing up as a Marvel fan being a huge fan of X-Men at the time DC was always the the company that made the books for kids and if you wanted to read the more mature titles then you read Marvel now I see that DC as a universe is just as much for adults, for the for the twenty something, thirty something, forty something comic fans. And I think that really in the last two, three years, they have they have done an amazing job of making just good comics that appeal to a lot of people. Agree or disagree? I think that's exactly how I felt about him when I was a kid, but I was a kid, so I liked it. <laughs> and then over the years, as I dropped in and out, I, I picked up DC stuff here and there. And I used to really enjoy the old um, Justice League Giffen stuff, and then I dropped out of comics for a while. And I thought DC was horrendous for a while in the mid '90s. It's just amazing to me how the quality of just about everything they've done for the last couple of years has been really high. Everything's really readable, and you know, with how the universe is going to be after this, I think it's going to be a really neat place to start reading DC if you haven't been. 
Absolutely, and I'll, and I'll throw this one Sal's way. It looks like with Infinite Crisis that DC is putting all of the focus back onto the big three. Dan DiDio repeatedly has said that Infinite Crisis is about Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. Um, Sal, do you, do you think that it is important that DC keeps the focus on the Trinity? Well, I, I mean, from a, a business standpoint, I think it certainly is. Uh, you know, that is, you know, those three characters are, are what they've been all about for 40 years, 50 years now, and, and, um, I think they always will be. I mean, I think you have to hold on to that iconic uh, status of those three characters. That you know, I think people will know those. I, I think people will know about Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman. You know, a hundred years from now, and I, I think you have to to uh, certainly hold on to that and try and you know keep that going as long as you can. Is At that the, same the foundation th- that the rest <laughs> of the universe has to stand on top of? Well, the thing that DC is doing now, what what I have enjoyed the most in the last few years of what they've done is really sort of pay off um, long-time readers. If you look at, you know, Infinite Crisis and that, the, the more knowledge you have about the history of the DC Universe, the more you're gonna, going to get out of that book. Um, and a lot of their other books too. I mean, Je- you know, Jeff Johns is is a obviously a, an enormous fan of the characters he's writing and a, and a historian of these characters and puts so many things in the books that he writes and and it's sort of filtered down into a lot of the other stuff that he doesn't do. But as a co- I think as a company as a whole, they've they've sort of taken that attitude of of really trying to infuse it with its rich history as opposed to trying to ignore it or make it go away. Um, Not be embarrassed by it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, you know, they've they've used it to their advantage. The only downside of that, I think, is that at some points it gets to be detrimental for any new readers jumping on. Uh, I think, you know, for someone, and we talked about this before, someone jumping into that book that isn't uh, a long-time reader of the DCU or doesn't know the history of these characters or do- hadn't read Crisis okay. initially. Explain Speed Force to me. <laughs> well, I think is what you're getting at. Yeah, I mean, that's, you yeah. know, you're, gonna, you're going to have a hard time with it if you don't know what's going on. But I think, I think they're smart enough to know that, too, and I think that's sort of a part of a goal of, of this whole thing is that to get to a point where... You can go forward and have stories that are easily enough uh, accessible for new readers, while at the same time uh, hanging on to that iconic status for those characters. Well, that was going to be the next point I was going to bring up, and I'll throw this one back over to Tom. Is that there? There's a term that's that's uh, eked its way into into comics whenever you're talking about DC, and that's pre crisis, post crisis. Do you think that we are set up for a uh, pre infinite crisis, post infinite crisis? As far as you know, read here. This is a before and after moment. Ooh, that's. Interesting. Uh, you know, 15 years from now, are people going to say, "Well, pre-infinite crisis or post-infinite crisis"? You know, this is this is how the universe was. It all depends on how they really go about approaching the whole one year later 
situation they're going to go about. Because there's a way you can write these one-year-later stories that are a jumping-on point, but also just a continuation of what's happened before. And I think we won't really know how we're going to look at it until we've seen how it ends. Because the big difference so far between um, the original crisis and this crisis is in the original crisis... DC made a much, you know, the huge goal is to bring in all these things that they've had for years, like, you know, Western characters and time traveler characters, and then, you know, get rid of all that. Well, this crisis has been much more about just strictly the superhero stuff, which is what they've been doing for the last 20 years. So they don't have that same thing to pull from. So it's going to be interesting to see how what's happened in between is going to fit into the history of these characters. You know, what is the real nature of the one year later going to be, you know? And I think that's something, just reading the first couple one year later books, I don't think we're going to have a pre-infinite crisis and post-infinite crisis because these stories are just continuations. In a way, the original crisis... When you say pre-crisis, you're talking about something that pretty much doesn't exist anymore in continuity or however you want to think about yeah, it. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. I don't think you're gonna or you're going to have that some sort of turning point where everything has changed, you know, so radically that you know it's a marking in the history. I think I think they're using it to clean up and and reestablish certain things more so than you know just you know wholesale. So as as opposed to a invention, it's more of a hiding up of the house. Well, I mean, if you read a lot of pre-crisis DC, I mean, they had so much stuff. Because they had that huge explosion in the 70s where they wrote an idea about anything, got a book. <laughs> and then they had an implosion where all these people got fired. But they had all these characters... And they tried to bring as many of them could into the original crisis, but it's kind of not the same situation this time. You don't have so much extraneous stuff you're pulling from. I mean, you have your Z-list Titans, but you can always rip off a few arms. Listen to AroundComics.com. It's not just for 12-year-old boys; it's for 13-year-old boys too. Okay, on this segment, I want to kind of break down how we've gotten to where we are and. CU. Uh, now, reading in Wizard Magazine this last month, uh, Jeff Johns talked about the death of Donna Troy being really kind of the kickoff of, uh, of the whole Infinite Crisis story and, and how they're tying things together. But I think most people can uh, relate to Identity Crisis as, as a true event kicking off. Um, Tom, can you give us a, a quick rundown of what Identity Crisis was about? Oh, uh, well, all right. Um, it's just a warning. I probably will say something that's a spoiler, so if you haven't read it and you get freaked out if you're listening to this, then <laughs> please ignore me. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, basically the theme of it was it was a major sort of inserting a piece of history into the past of the, ju- you know, of the Justice League that at some point in the past, uh, Dr. Light had attacked... Um, elongated man's wife, and as a consequence of that, 
the Justice League had a vote, and they had Satana erase his memory and try and almost lobotomize him into being not a big threat, which is a real interesting twist on why certain villains often did things that were silly and stupid and people couldn't explain. So when I first read it, I was like, oh, what an interesting way of, you know, kind of explaining that. But um, the main ramification was sort of a rift within the league about how things have been divided out because they had also erased Batman's memory as well. And at some point during the Batman series, you started to figure out that he, he has known about it and he's that's part of his paranoia is coming from that because the people he trusted betrayed him and you know took part of his mind away so the big theme in that book is it, it was really the first time oh sorry it was really the first time I've seen in the DCU that heroes were doing very almost villainous things and it is also what really created started to create a rift between the hero community. And I, th- I well, think that yeah. was probably the most important thing about Identity Crisis. Yeah, it's explained a lot of riffs. It explained why Green Arrow doesn't get along with Hawkman. And, uh, you know, things like that. Things that you'd always thought you knew one thing about, but now looking back, you understand a lot better why these characters have acted the way they have. Now, wasn't there, I think in, in like, Justice League... There was a, a a point where the Secret Society and um, a bunch of the Justice League characters had like switched yes. identities, and that's sort of where this kind of came from in some ways. That I mean, that's that's where well, Zatanna erases their yeah. their memories the first time, right? Well, it's kind of an explanation for how villains did all these things in the past that you would think like. Well, don't they know who they are? You know, like, if you switch bodies with the Flash, wouldn't you take the mask off? Mm-hmm. So uh, it was kind of a retconning and explanation for how the Justice League was able to stay hidden for so long. But, but I it mean, was, it was very, is, a uh, very believable retconning, which yeah. is, is hard to find in comics. Well, it was an interesting... I mean, that, that was a, a complete sort of... Um, different take on any sort of superhero story uh, in the DCU. You know, with those characters, certainly it, it, it was a um, it was a much different type of story than I'd ever seen come out of, out of DC before. Uh, it set the tone, I think, you know, even though at the time, I, you know, I didn't know what, you know, they hadn't really started any hyping of, of you know, of Crisis on Infinite Earths and that just was sort of starting, but it really set the tone for our, things are going to change. I mean, this is a different sort of world we're looking at here, and things are, are certainly going to change from this. I think in retrospect, it is a much stronger book. I remember reading it at the time, and it's like, yeah, this is, yeah, it's a fun read, it's an interesting murder mystery, but now, you know, what, five issues into Infinite Crisis and a year and a half removed to go back and read Identity Crisis, you're like, oh, wow, they were really thinking about this back then, and they kept it wrapped up, and and they they really held on to a lot of the the build-up. Yeah, and it spun off into a lot of the other titles as well. Well, yeah, that's so the next. I mean, that led right into the 
what they they called it uh, the crisis of conscience, right? That was in the JLA. Yeah, well, it dealt with the secret. Well, not the secret society, the society of um, supervillains. Now I'm getting all my societies mixed up, but they <laughs> come back because uh, I believe Doctor Light tells them what happens, and now they know what has happened to them. And in the end, they end up uh, erasing their memory again. Well, yeah, actually, it was it was uh, yeah. <laughs> what's his name, Des- Despero or Despero or Despero? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's the one that. Um, he had he had told I don't I can't remember exactly he had told them or they didn't really explain how he knew uh, I think he's the one that gave them the memory back yeah but they he gave them the, their memories back and then they came they come out against the league and they know now um and yeah at the end of it again then they you know she she wipes their memories and, and that was sort of the the big thing is it was I think it was four issues and like in issue three they're debating they're all sort of voting yeah. you know do we do what do we do now they had they had defeated them in a fight but not, you know they all knew who they were and they they had their memories back they knew what had happened and they knew all of the jla's identities so they're, they're sitting there you know taking a vote and that sort of really started the rift and i think that was the first time that batman sort of admitted that he knew that they had wiped his memory yeah, well, there's there's hints and hush at certain points, depending on how you read it. But it was the first time that, probably in a, a JLA book, that you really saw that that you know, just the fact that you see hints to that in Hush, which is a totally unrelated series to Infinite Crisis, to to see how widespread the planning has been in in them pulling the continuity together of this universe just floors me. Mm. Yeah, it's, also it's you know it's a testament to readers' ability to also potentially invent connections. Because I, I've, you know, there, there's things in Hush that definitely could be seen as signs, or it could just have been put in there in the way you read it after reading Identity Crisis. But it definitely says a lot for how skilled they were in putting it together. Well, moving on from Identity Crisis which I, and, and the JLA arc, I think the next major point, um, there was a, a three issues in Teen Titans which, which kind of uh, talked back to the crisis, but in a, in a future story where the Titans go into the future and meet themselves and all yeah. that. But I think the, the most uh, uh, important next book was Countdown to Infinite Crisis, which for a single issue probably one of my favorite issues of last year well just real quick chris before we get to that i just wanted to also mention that at the end of that crisis uh, crisis of conscious we also have um the destruction of the jla watchtower and what we it's think kind of important well and to go back to that <laughs> i mean you at the time it's martian manhunter sitting in the jla watchtower and you see on the screens he's watching superman teleports into the watchtower and then he turns around and he says wait a minute you're not you know and they don't give it away but now looking back we know who it was Mm -hmm. but once again it's just one of those things that they were you know they were building this all up you know and all these writers had this in mind as they were you know going for so i just wanted to throw that in there before we moved on to countdown i i am a horrible horrible comic book um reviewer person because i haven't read that arc so i'm gonna have to borrow yours (laughs) <laughs> it's really good. It's much better than the last couple of issues of JLA before it stopped. 
Yeah, I'm yeah, I agree. It was gonna, uh, it was a good little arc. And I'm going to pick it up, but uh, filler. Um, Countdown, which really kind of moved uh, into the the whole OMAC project, which you know became its own miniseries. Um, it, it was basically a Blue Beetle story, but I think uh, in retrospect, people are going to look at that and say that may be the greatest Blue Beetle story ever told. Uh, I know that Sal is is a fan of it. You want to run down uh, Countdown for us? Uh, sure. Um, basically, it, it follows uh, Ted Cord, the Blue Beetle, as he's investigating uh, the disappearance of millions of dollars from his uh, bank account and he he starts this investigation he start he tries to get his old friends from the justice league involved and they kind of won't even give him the time of day and you really get the sense of the uh you know the 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 pecking <laughs> um there's Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman, and then there's some of the others. And yeah, well, even beyond that, I mean, you know, it's like the Blue Beetle. As much as you know, people now have talked about how much they love him and everything. I mean, this really gave you an idea of of sort of where he was on the on the superhero order. Um, but at the same time, I, I thought it really gave you a great insight to a character of what he could be. Um, because he goes on and he perseveres regardless of, of not getting any help from, from any of the bigger, um, bigger heroes. <clears throat> um, he ends up uncovering the conspiracy that brings him to Checkmate, uh, or rather it's sort of a secret underground covert government organization uh, that was Checkmate, but now it's being run by... Uh, the old um, leader of the um, the J- uh, JLA, uh, sorry, JLA Europe, Europe, Maxwell, Maxwell Lord, um, which was sort of a funny and ironic thing because in that book, if anyone's read, you know, Euro- you know JLA Europe, <laughs> it was you know it was all tongue in cheek and very humorous and very and these, Great Lakes Avengers. Yeah, exactly, and <laughs> and uh, and. And Maxwell Lord was sort of this slick um, PR guy, you know, almost like a used car salesman sort of character. And now you're seeing him as this ringleader of this, you know, extremely dangerous organization. And he's, you know, sort of psychotic. They also imply that he's he purposely kept him inept. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They, Which is they, debatable about how you feel. Right. I mean, it is. I mean, the, the people have gone back and forth on it. Um, and then he, you know, the, the Blue Beetle, uh, ends up infiltrating this organization and finding out that, uh, Maxwell Lord is, is behind a lot of these other things that we've been seeing, um, in the JLA and, and in, uh, <clears throat> Identity Crisis and everything else. And, um, te- uh, Maxwell Lord catches the Blue Beetle, basically, and threatens him either join us or die, and as everybody now knows, he he refused, and and Maxwell Lord blew his brains out. Um, it was you know once again, I thought it, it it really set the tone in two ways. Once you know, one showing the the pecking order of heroes, and who was on top and who was on bottom, um, and obviously the seriousness of 
what this event was going to be. You know, it, it is. It wasn't going to be a hit the reset button event. You, it's like, okay, you know what? We're gonna see some of the heroes that we've come to know and aren't gonna be around after this event, and and that's what I felt after after reading that. And yeah, exactly. I, I mean, it. It. You know, maybe it was a little too graphic. I know there have been people that have complained that you know, do they really need to vaporize his you know head? Uh, in a full, you know, panel kind of thing, and yeah, I, you know, I, that's debatable, I suppose. It, it, I think it set the tone. I think you said it perfectly that uh, that it set the tone for what was getting ready to come. Now, if you don't like the tone that the DCU has taken uh, through this event, um, you know, that's uh, it's debatable. But but that definitely set it up. But I did uh, I did feel that it was. I mean. To me, it was sort of a shame because it showed what a good writer could do with a, a a secondary character like the Blue Beetle. I mean, that was to me that was the best Blue Beetle story I'd ever seen. I mean, granted, the only real Blue Beetle stuff that I'd ever read was the more funny JLA Europe stuff. You know, he, he was like a, 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 a Batman light in that it was he was really more of a great detective story which are the the stories i love in batman uh you know what looking at at kind of a, a precursor to that actually and touching on how much dc had started to wrap all of the major storylines in that uh if anyone remembers the brian azarillo run on superman that uh jim lee was doing pencils on that was I, I look at that as actually a weed into countdown because uh, you didn't know it at the time but that was really an OMAC story. Yeah, you, you know, looking back at it now, I mean, I think it was just so darn confusing, like a lot of Azarillo stuff. That's Azarillo. <laughs> um, that nobody could really tell that in, until much later. I don't know if that's a bad thing, it, you know, but I, I got to say, I didn't really enjoy that storyline. I, I read the first. I read it all after about three issues. I had no clue what was going on, um, and kind of got bored with it. But uh, but looking back at it now, you know, it's just another example of. of and the, and it, you you take an Azarello story and then you put in subtle references to a, an event coming up, and then that will do a really good job of confusing you. Listen to AroundComics.com podcast new every Monday. For once, you won't be lying to your parents when you tell them you're not looking at porn. Kind of moving on and and looking at the rest of the DCU, after they uh, left Countdown to Infinite Crisis, we moved into the major miniseries, which were uh, OMAC Project, Days of Vengeance, Ran Thanagar War, and Villains United. And so while all of the other things are going on in the regular DCU, uh, I know that uh, Tom is a big fan of the Rogues War, which I think was going on at, at the same time. You had these mini-series, which were all leading into Infinite Crisis. We didn't understand why at the time uh, until the last couple issues of Infinite Crisis. But... Um, Tom, what was your favorite lead-in miniseries into Infinite Crisis? Uh, actually, it was uh, Day of Vengeance for me. And the major reason why, and I think this is true of all the events that we talked so far about, uh, is what a wonderful job they've done of taking E-list characters that people would, you know, all the way from Aiden Man and Identity Crisis to Blue Beetle to people that are in 
Day of, day of Vengeance, okay? You're not going to call I, Detective Chimp a, a B-list character on me, are you? <laughs> no, he's not. My, my watch, a+. mister. <laughs> but, I mean, uh, you take Rag a look Man at that. Rules. It was such an amazing job that of taking, like, a talking magical monkey and not making it a joke, you know? It's really easy to take those things and put them in a book and be like, hey, you know, take a look at it, wink, wink, isn't this ridiculous, you know? But they didn't. I mean, that's the easy way to go about doing these things. But they, you know, it is funny. He is funny, but he's not funny like, you know... He's he's more funny like your drunken, you know, angry uncle or something funny. I mean, that's true for all those characters in there, like Ragman. Well, it's kind of going back to what I said earlier is when I was growing up, DC was always kind of like the silly kids comics with heroes, the Hey Chum, and it amazes me that they've been able to take those same characters like Detective Chimp and you can read it and go, oh, wow, that's kind of cool. And it, it it floors me, but somehow they've been able to make it work. Yeah, it's it's Willingham did a great job. <laughs> you know, he took these characters that I'm a huge DC fan, and man, you if you would have told me that I would have loved that beforehand, I would have you know laughed at you because the magic stuff isn't the stuff I like the most. But he wrote it in such a compelling way that. You couldn't help but like these characters. Now, now we've we've talked about uh, Ran Thanagar War, and uh, I I understand now why it was important to what's going on in Infinite Crisis. But I think Tom uh, summed it up best whenever I was talking to him earlier this week. Is that if you read the first issue of Ran Thanagar War and the last issue, then that was pretty much all that you needed. Yeah, a lot of stuff that happened between. Two and five were sort of, um, in my opinion, just kind of a mess. Uh, in the other minis, you could see things progress. You know, you'd be like, oh, each issue, you were like, oh, this is important, and things sort of built. And Thanagar, for this big epic space adventure, and failed kind of in a way because they fit a lot in there, but they didn't fit a lot in there that had a lot of consequence except for the beginning and the end you know that it just felt sort of empty in the middle it felt like, like they needed another mini series to explain this one important event that happened and, yeah. and then they made the rest of the mini um, if you've read the adam strange thing that comes that came out right before that planet heist yeah it's wonderful it's you know it's such a nice story and things progress, and there's space in it. Like, I don't, I don't want to bring up decompression, but like, man, Ram Thanagar needed something. <laughs> needed not to have a thousand things going on constantly now, within it. Now, what was the importance? Of, I didn't read the Ram Thanagar. Okay, it's uh, and since you know, for the listeners out there, yeah. this is going to be fairly. Spoiler filled. Um, yeah. The big thing is that it, was it Ran that moved into the same solar system as Thanagar? Yes. It, um, okay. And it, we know now that was Superboy Prime. It was Superboy that was yes. Prime that. that moved the planet to create this war, and that was all a part of the, Lex, the plan Alex going Luthers. into the crisis. Yeah. So well, it, it was really about Ran being moved around, which yeah, was Thanagar part of. Was 
well, it was part of Alexander uh, Luthor's plan to uh, with the whole like world shuffling thing that he's doing. Well, I kind of figured. It, I mean, it was sort of a way to to get focus off of what he was trying to hide. You know, he was able to do that. I mean, that causes confusion. It's sort of, you know, misdirection. It's like, okay, I'm going to cause these huge problems over here, and it'll get at least a certain amount of people involved in, in trying to... You know, I, I think that was part of it, but, but Tom, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't there something important about him having to, like, reposition, like, the center of the universe? He had to make space. Okay. <laughs> I think that was it, you know? Like, he had to make space for what he was going to do. And he needed to realign, because, you know, there's a huge rift in space with his hands coming No, but you know what, Chris? You you are right now that he's mentioned that. I do remember them in, in like, issue three or four of Infinite Crisis, him saying something about repositioning the universe so that he was now the center of the universe, which is an interesting... Yeah. Well, it used to be (laughs) Oa. Right, it used to be Oa, and now... Yeah, but... And I then, mean, to give you an idea of how powerful Superboy Prime is, I mean, this guy's pushing <laughs> planets around. It's just like good old Earth One Superman. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Exactly. So Watch I, out yeah, for that but I think kiss. that you're all right. You, you're exactly right in that it was it was kind of a dual purpose. It was the major plan was was Alexander Luther um, rearranging the center of the universe, but also in getting all of these heroes to be involved in this war to take uh, to take the. Um, Spotlight off of what was going on. Now, on with Earth. with um, to go back to Days of Vengeance because I you love that book. Uh, no, well, Villains United is the one that I I really enjoyed the most. Days oh, of Vengeance, I, you, I, I liked. Thought you turned into a huge uh, 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 Blue Devil fan. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, I I used to love the old Blue Devil um, book. I, I still have, I think, a complete run of the the original Blue Devil book, and and now they've sort of once again, reinvented that character and made him much more serious and dangerous and, and you know, and interesting, um, as they did with all those, you know, all the characters. I, I, I really did like Days, Days of Ven- or Day of Vengeance, but I also liked Villains United. But to go back to Day, Day of Vengeance, let's just, you know, again, kind of say, you know, Tom, if you can give us a little bit of, of why that was important in regards to Infinite Crisis and what happened in that in that series uh, to tie into. Oh, for um, Day of Vengeance. Yeah. What 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 part of the plan was being fulfilled? Because I I think it what we're looking back on is that each one of these minis and major events end up being parts of the plan that is happening well, in Infinite Crisis. What was the Day of Vengeance piece of the puzzle? Well, it was um. Alex had managed to get Gene Loring, who was the you know murder from identity well, identity crisis. Since we're doing spoilers, so I just ruined it for anyone who didn't read that. <laughs> but uh, the Eclipso, you know, Diamond, and uh, she became Eclipso, and she started influencing the Spectre, who hadn't had a human host at the time, and convincing the Spectre that. Uh, magic was the source of all the evil in the world. So the Spectre goes about destroying magic, and <laughs> a lot of ma- magical characters, you know, got tossed aside, and basically at the end, uh, Shazam, who is the wizard that gave Captain Marvel's powers, is killed, and magic is kind of thrown into chaos. Uh, Dr. Fate also 
um, dies. The rock of eternity is disintegrated. It's disintegrated and magic is thrown completely into chaos and you see it in a lot of the magical characters throughout all the crossovers. Well, to go, to go back to, you know, it was interesting, I thought, again, another example of, you know, them keeping everything together is that, you know, with Eclipso and the Spectre not having a, uh, a human host any longer, you know, that goes back to Hal Jordan's return as, you know, Green Lantern, and it's just another example of how they, you know, back then even they were planning this all out, or at least if nothing, if they weren't planning it, they used, you know, it again to, to, to keep everything tightly wound up into, into a, a very comprehensive story. Well, you look at, you look at what DC has done and they're either master retconners or they're master planners or both. And it just, it just seems to work. And that's to their credit. Uh, let's look at one of the other major minis, and that was the OMAC project. Uh, Tom, have you read OMAC? Ah, uh, yes, I have, and uh, I enjoyed it greatly, actually. And I'm not a huge Batman fan, so that's saying a lot. Uh, you know, I, I thought I main... thought it was interesting in, in that all the other minis didn't deal with really the the, the Trinity characters, but OMAC was definitely a Batman series. Well, it's literally the, his paranoia put into physical form, <laughs> you know, in the book, as he creates a satellite to spy on everyone, but she's been so paranoid since Identity Crisis about people messing with other people's minds. And uh, he loses control of the spy satellite, and uh, Checkmate has control of it. Um, and Max Lord, uh, who's in charge of Checkmate, also has mental control over Superman. So it has very interesting implications as Wonder Woman resorts to killing Max Lord to stop his control of Superman. Which actually doesn't happen in OMAC, but an OMAC tie-in in Wonder Woman that if you're able to find that issue on eBay, you're luckier than me. But if you, uh, get, it in the, if you get it in the trade, they have the last issue of Sacrifice. And, then, and they also reprinted that issue of Wonder Woman uh, okay. that you can probably so, find. You don't but, uh, but I think it's pretty three. widely known that <laughs> yeah, I mean, you don't, you, what, what Wonder Woman did. And, um, <clears throat> how, does, and this is where I'm kind of confused. Does uh, OMAC fit into Alexander Luthor's plan? Uh, yes. Um, as you see, the satellite is what he uses in the newest issue that just came out to hit Earth 2 Superman with the beam that separates him out and all of a sudden all the different Earths start popping up everywhere. And he's the okay, one that Okay, that's, that's where I was confused. I, yeah. It, keeping all this stuff up in the air and figuring out how each mini, each event, each series is tying together, it really makes my brain hurt. But it, it's amazing <laughs> how they've been able to do it. Yeah, they, well, it was together. sort of, um, y y you didn't know how that series really tied in until later on. Y I mean, you knew with Batman and Brother Eye and his feeling, you know, y his feelings of isolation and, and being, you know, driven further away from the rest of the, the heroes in, in the universe and becoming more and more paranoid and and uh, you felt that, and it, and it was a good tie-in to the previous series, 
I mean, it was a good, you know, it, it tied into that, but it, you, you weren't sure until later on how it was affecting, you know, Infinite Crisis or what was it, how it was involved in it. But then you see later how it, you know, it, it appears that Maxwell Lord was just another pawn in Alex Luthor's game of, of, of what he's, you know, trying to accomplish. It's it's amazing because what I'm feeling, and coming from the the standpoint of traditionally a Marvel fan or an indie fan, what I've been able to get from DC is that when someone coughs, it means something. And across the entire universe, that is just amazing. From from someone that you know, I work in marketing and understanding how hard it is to tie different things together and make it work well. How they've been able to get the entire universe to hit in step on the same beat is absolutely amazing. I I, I don't want to I don't want to build it up too much because I think there's a lot of hyperbole out there regarding DC, but what they've done cross-universe is really mind-blowing. Well, the thing that, it, you know, that, that amazes me, too, what I appreciate is, you know, looking at it from a writing perspective, I always thought one of the hardest things it had to be trying to write a character like Reed Richards or, you know, Lex Luthor or Brainiac or something, you know, where they're supposed to be these, you know, superior intelligences that, you know, obviously are smarter than anyone that's ever lived. How do you write that type of character? But now you, if you're you, not the smartest person in on the, the world. planet, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you look at this now, and you have you know Alexander Luthor, and now you look at the depth of his plan and how brilliant it, you know it really would be. That's you know a character that intelligent could do this, you know, because it is so complex and so far-reaching, and 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 everything that he's put together that has worked out. Uh, it it really is a testament to um, to all the writers at DC and, and that you know the editorial and, staff putting that. Well, that together. that's what that's what's mind blowing to me is that everyone looks at Jeff Johns as kind of being the center cog in this, and I and I don't think that there's any doubt about that. But you look at Gail Simone and Greg Rucka, and oh God, who are some of the other major? Well, don't, think, don't I mean, forget Jeff, about Jeff Grant, you know, Grant Morrison, Morrison. I think yeah. is playing a big part of this too. He you know he was signed on sort of as the the person to lead the charge forward after you know after this and i think he may be having a lot to do with it you know you know i i think that we as comic fans have looked back on great series in the past and said oh my god that was a great run or that was a, a real masterpiece in comics if it's you know say a frank miller run on daredevil or whatever but I, this is the first time that i felt a company as a whole with multiple writers tying things together where you're going to be able to say wow that was a group of people that created something that is going to have long-lasting effects into this universe. That's, I mean, it, it's an amazing accomplishment, and we'll and we'll see what happens post-crisis, what, which is what I want to talk about next, and that is uh, one year later. And for you know, I think everyone knows that that after the crisis is over, the DCU is jumping forward a year, and then there's the the DC 52, which is going to fill in the blanks. Um, now I know that Tom has picked up a couple one year later titles. What what are you seeing right now as to the direction that the universe is taking with that? Uh, they're doing, uh, you know. They 
it's good introductory stories. You're not going to get any, you know, Secrets. idea of what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, but it's you're you're getting the appetizer and not the steak right now. Yeah, well, I mean, they're nice stories within themselves, and they give little hints, like people talking about what's happened in the la- like, oh, you know, after this year that we've had. <laughs> stuff like that which right. sounds kind of stupid now that I just said it out loud <laughs> but uh it's you know I got the outsiders and I got uh which I've seen some people didn't really like it but you know the new Captain Boomerang is in it so well you said it. that the the JSA was very good yeah it was really it, it was really nice because if you hadn't read the JSA you could have read that and been like Okay, it it did a nice job of having a story that propelled itself, but also let you see a little bit about the characters. Uh, you know, um, I'm going to spoil it a little bit, but uh, part of it is these ghosts start appearing to various characters, and that's part of the plot. Is that why are we seeing these ghosts? And it, it involves the gentleman ghost, which is such an awesome character. You know, to find a cool way to bring back in, but. Not only are you seeing the ghost propelling the story, but seeing the ghost tells you something about this character. So if this is the first time you've been reading it, you can say, oh, okay, I know this about this character. You have something to latch onto, and you're not just dropped into, you know, an ongoing story. You get a tiny little hint of origin. So That's cool. You know, I, I, I would like to be able to spoil the... Um, action comic, or no, it's not action, it's Adventures of Superman, but there's not a single issue in the city of Chicago left of that. It it disappeared off of shelves. Uh, Sal, were you able to to finally find one? I did, you know, uh, there was um, a shop. You found two, right? Well, actually, I didn't pick it up. It it wasn't a (laughs) one-year-later title. No, yeah, it's just the end of this. It's the, the end of Superman. It's an Sorry. Infinite Crisis tie-in, but mm-hmm. it's not a one year later. I thought initially that it was, so I, I flipped through it and and I ended up not picking it up um, because I hadn't been reading that. Yeah, leading into it's it, completely sold out in Chicago. Completely sold out yeah. on well, Diamond, and and that, that's probably you know looking you know as as we look at the state of the DCU. Um, can anybody ever recall this much excitement about a universe as a whole? And and you know, I got to talk to uh, Mark Beatty over at Dark Tower about how this is impacting sales. But I haven't seen this much excitement about an event or or the general take of a universe. Well, remember time. also though that you know the sellouts are not necessarily. I mean, there were. I, I talked to three different shops about. Um, the one year later titles and they were either sold out of them um, or they had received damaged books so they had to wait to get new ones in but I think a lot of them sort of under ordered I think they weren't expecting people because they, they all three shops said they kept seeing people come in the door asking for those that they had never seen before either people from other shops well, that's or just, awesome yeah which is I mean just pretty amazing um, but the one thing I, I read the JSA one, I read the Detective Comics one, and what else? I think there was one other one that I read. Aquaman? No, I didn't read the Aquaman. I read that one. But the thing I got from it, um, and I enjoyed them both, 
But like I said, you're not getting a whole lot of information. You're getting a little bit, you know, they're hinting around as to, oh, sure. well, you know, we've missed, you know, after what happened 12 months ago or that kind of thing. Yeah. But <laughs> what I felt from, too, from both of yeah. them, and, and, and I've spent, I spent a little bit of time thinking about it too, about how are they doing this? You know, they're, they're, they're going to have uh, this 52. They're going to have, you know, the 52 project or whatever you want to call it. And it's going to be every week. They're going to have a new book, and and a, and uh, a year from now, we're going to finally know what the heck happened in the last year. But at the same time, you're going to be reading uh, one year into the future in all these current books. And I'm sitting there going, "How are they doing this? How is this going to work out in the end?" Because at the end of it all, you're going to know what happened in that year, but you're going to be two years removed from it. If they're able to pull it off. It hurts my head how much planning has gone into this. Well, I think if they're if they're able to across every DC title pull off that with fifty two and not give away major plot points until the exact week or month that it's supposed to across the entire universe, I I can't fathom how much planning that takes. Well, it's going to be impressive, and I think, but it goes back to what I said initially was, I think what they're they're trying to accomplish is setting a tone with all these books and with all these characters to move forward from. And that's what I kind of got from the JSA and from the Detective Comics was, it wasn't like there were these incredibly radical changes that took place, but just sort of this reestablishment of this is where we are now and this is how we're going to go forward from here. I mean, what happened, you know, with with the detective book, you know, there, there's characters that are brought back. Um, to I get well, I don't want to spoil it, but you know, there's some characters that are that, that are there that haven't been around, and just sort of this attitude and feeling of, okay, we're moving forward from this, and this is what it's going to be like, you know. And same with the JSA. The JSA was a completely different book in my eyes as to what the JSA was before this and to what, like, Batman was. It didn't have the same tone at all. Um, but did it fit? Did it fit in the feel of the universe? I don't know yet. It's hard to say. It, it, okay. I don't know because you don't know what the state of the universe is. It had its own, you know, the JSA to me felt a little more Silver Age-ish. You know, it, it, with the gentleman ghost coming back and and yeah, just—they're not on Earth too, are they? I, I don't think well, you so. Don't, you don't know for sure. You don't know though. You don't know for <laughs> sure. That's the interesting thing. But if yeah. you read those two books, they they they, they both of them I thought were written to set a tone, to set a, a standard, and completely different from one another. I, I didn't feel that yeah. there was really any you know any crossover between reading, you know, Detective Comics and reading JSA. They were completely different books. They both talked about this, you know, what happened in the last year, but the feel of both those books were completely different. They were their but own titles. Their and both good. I, I enjoyed yeah. them both, and I could really see, you know, going forward, you know, from them. But it was just interesting to kind of look at that and say, well, you know, are they kind of setting that up as, you know, as this is how it's going to be from now on. And I think that I think that's what they're trying to do. Aroundcomics.com, your source for discussion, news, and reviews about your favorite comics and creators. New podcasts available every Monday. Go to www.aroundcomics.com. Okay, let's come back with some final thoughts here. Uh, this is obviously a, 
a huge topic. I, I think that people have already talked thousands and thousands of man hours on this subject, and we could keep going. But let's, uh, let's wrap it up. Uh, Tom, go ahead and give me your final thoughts on where the universe is, where you think it's going, and what you think about it. Uh, as well as someone who's read DC Comics for a long time, this is the most excited I've been since I've become jaded about comic book writing. <laughs> reading, you know, about ten years ago. And, uh, right now, they're writing for the people that have been reading for a very long time, but having read the one year later books, I think they're going to do a really good job of making it a place for people that haven't, you know been reading DC Comics, and it's pretty exciting to hear that shop owners notice people coming in asking for those titles who they've never seen before, so, also, of course, you know, these people that are going to pick this, these new one year later up, you know, that haven't read DC before, maybe get interested in read the old stuff, and then they'll come back and read Infinite Crisis and get it, so, it's just really exciting because it's one time that I feel like things are really going to happen, you know, like there's, you're going to see a change, you're going to see a tone change in a book and it's going to be interesting and uh, I'm just really excited because I've loved all these characters since I was a kid and for a long time I didn't think they were being done justice, so it's nice to have a couple years of stories that you know, justify these characters. Alright, Sal, you look at comics with a very discerning eye, your take on the DCU? Uh, you know, I agree a lot with what Tom said. I, I, I've been enjoying it so far. I, you know, I, I used to read a lot of DC, and then I, too, got jaded with it, a lot of the stuff that they were doing, and, and fell off from it. I picked, picked back into it probably a few months before the whole identity crisis thing started, and have been enjoying it ever since, and, and I am really excited to see where this is going. Um, I probably the most you know impressive thing for me is that they've really given these characters so much more depth um and made them in their own right you know all very interesting characters and i'm you know i'm i'm very interested to see where it's going to go i think i think they are going to you know end the you know wrap this up with uh, uh the idea of people will be able to jump on after the whole one year later, and and I th as long as they keep this perspective for at least a few years, as long as this isn't you know just a a, a fly by night thing that happens and then they go back to you know the way things were before or or off on you know completely different tangents, if they can keep this sort of quality and you know integrity um, with their writing and with the characters. You know, it, it's going to be really interesting to see where this goes because uh, I think this is some of the best, um, best you know, superhero stuff that's going on right now, and has gone on in a long time in you know in in the DCU. And so it's, I'm, I'm excited about it. I can't wait to see where where it goes. They've they've got me hooked. I mean, I'm buying more, more and more stuff because they you know they just you know keep coming out with good good stuff and and it all ties in and it all ties in so well. And I think that's sort of the key is that. You know, they did. They're doing this huge crossover event, but it doesn't. You know, I didn't read the Rand Thangar War. I, I didn't care about it. it. Didn't matter. I didn't need to. Um, the stuff I did read, I really enjoyed, and it's all 
been important. It wasn't like throwaway. You know, you you'd get you get all that. You know, a lot of crossover events where you know, yeah, it has the name of the crossover. Secret Wars Two. That's a perfect example. You know, that that Secret Wars Two logo was on every single Marvel book that you know that came out for the for six months before Secret Wars Two. But half of you know most of those stories didn't have anything to do with Secret Wars Two. Everything that they've done in this in this run with a you know Infinite Crisis, there's something involving you know the whole big picture, and that's uh, refreshing. I agree, and I'm going to be really quick with mine because I think there's been enough people that have talked about how great uh, a job that DC is doing. It's uh, we hear about it. <laughs> on every fan forum and and throughout uh, you know all of the comics news out there probably the biggest compliment I can give to it is that I'm a lifelong Marvel fan I love indie books and DC has always been something that I've read off and on and it interested me in a moderate way if there was a, a writer in DC that I liked I'd pick it up um, but Greg <laughs> Love the Greg Rucka. Um, but from a moderate DC fan, I look at what they're doing as a whole, and it absolutely blows me away. It, the the planning from, you know, you're talking years, multiple writers, multiple artists, the amount of secrecy that has been required to, to keep this all from, you know, leaking out, um... It is the closest thing to a comic company-wide perfect continuity that I've ever seen in comics. Uh, it, it's going to become the boilerplate in in how to do a comics universe. So um, that that that's my take on it. So. Hey, you know, I just wanted to mention too, if anyone wants more information about. Mm-hmm sort of the state of the DC Universe and how everything is tied into um, everything else. There's a great website um, out there called Sequart. It's at, uh, com, and they're a news and, and reviews uh, website. But they've done um, like 40 or 50 articles on every single book that has come out from uh, Identity Crisis till now. And also they've gone back and looked at stuff uh, you know, like the death of Donna Troy and, you know, Adam Strange, the, you know, the Planet Heist stuff and, and how it related to, or how it relates to Infinite Crisis. So if you're really interested in, in checking that stuff out, uh, I would say go to www.sequart.com. They, they have a real comprehensive, uh, set of, of, of articles on it. Absolutely. There is way too much to go over in the BCU in one episode of Around Comics. So I think we're going to uh, finish up today's topic right there. And that will lead us into Wired Wire Comic News with Brian Salazar. Wire, 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 Wire. On Monday, Fred Gallagher announced he was moving Mega Tokyo from Dark Horse Comics to DC Comics' CMX line. Rumor has it that Dark Horse didn't even know about the move until it was announced at the Wildstorm panel at the New York Comic Con. Gallagher said, Dark Horse is a wonderful publisher and have done an excellent job printing the first three volumes, but in the end, I decided that there was a lot of potential for my work, both current and future, with DC CMX. 
It was a tough decision because I have great respect for both publishers. At the manga panel at the New York City Comic Con, Dark Horse editor Carl Horn announced that the company was planning to double its output of manga titles in 2006, total of more than 70, and expand the range of Dark Horse releases to encompass all of the major manga genres. Victor Del Sante, the unofficial press liaison for Speakeasy Comics, announced the publisher would be closing their doors. In a website announcement, he said, As unofficial public relations for Speakeasy Comics, I feel it is my duty to inform everyone that as of 3.30 p.m. today, Speakeasy Comics has shut its doors and will not be publishing comics for, at the very least, the rest of the year. Most, if not all, creators have been contacted and informed. If I'm not mistaken, all books scheduled to ship in March will ship, April and May books are up in the air, while June books are canceled. Marvel Comics and Top Cow Entertainment announced that the first collaboration between them will take place in Amazing Spider-Man number 530 and number 531, with Top Cow's Tyler Kirkham taking over the penciling for the two issues. Our strategic partnership with Marvel Comics is one of the best moves Top Cow has ever made, says Top Cow President Matt Hawkins. The heart of the deal between the two companies revolved around 36 issues of Marvel Comics with art by Top Cow artists over the next two or three years. Six of those books will feature art by Mark Silvestri alongside fan-favorite writer Brian Michael Bendis. In addition, Silvestri will also be drawing 18 covers for Marvel. DC Comics revealed that a crossover special between Todd McFarlane's Spawn and DC's Batman was in the works. The crossover special will reportedly be produced by McFarlane and McFarlane employee Greg Capullo. McFarlane may be writing or co-writing with Capullo supplying the art. Curiously, the comic book special will reportedly be accompanied by a statue of the two characters, one that somehow ties into the comic book's narrative. The statue will be co-produced by DC Direct, DC's Toy Wing, and McFarlane Toys, McFarlane's highly successful toy company. DB Pro announced that they have signed a deal with New York Times best-selling author Laurel K. Hamilton to obtain the exclusive rights to adapt the popular multi-million copy selling Anita Blank Vampire Hunter novels into a monthly comic book series. Laura K. Hamilton is one of the most popular authors on the planet right now, said Ernst Dobbel, president of Dobbel Brothers Production. She's constantly ranked as one of the top-selling writers on Amazon, and her latest books in the Anita Blake series have been smash-hit successes. We're thrilled to be partnering with her to bring these novels into the graphic medium, and we know that this series will appeal to anyone who is a fan of fantasy, horror, romance, or adventure. The first book in the series, Anita Blake, Vampire Hunter, in Guilty Pleasures, will hit shelves in June 2006. The adaptation will also be published in two graphic novel volumes, available respectively in January and July 2007. Boom Studios and Intel, the computer processor manufacturer, announced the creation of Shiri Secret, a 20-page graphic novel designed to promote Intel Viv technology for entertainment PCs. Focusing on telling the story of a suburban American family, Shiri's Secret follows a storyline modeled after a television daytime drama. As the tale unfolds, the features and benefits of an Intel Viv technology entertainment PC are spotlighted. Shiri's Secret will make its public debut at the upcoming Cinequest Film Festival March 1st through the 12th in San Jose, California. Virgin Comics LLC announced today that they have recruited Seymour Miles as Senior Vice President of Sales and Publishing, responsible for the production, distribution, sales, and marketing of Virgin Comics titles throughout North America and the United Kingdom. 
Miles will also oversee advertising sales for Virgin Comics publications. Virgin Comics will launch during 2006 with the publication of three comic imprints. Shakti, a line of Indian-infused titles. Director's Cut, featuring stories developed in conjunction with Shikhar Kapoor, John Woo, and other filmmakers. And Maverick, produced with leading writers and other, other leading creators. The Teen Titans head to Japan in their first animated movie, Teen Titans Tokyo, airing in late fall. When a high-tech ninja attacks Titan's Tower, Robin, Starfire, Cyborg, Raven, and Beast Boy spring into action. Robin finds out that their attacker was sent by a mysterious and menacing Japanese criminal known as Brushugan, and the Teen Titans travel to Tokyo to track the villain down. Three Viz Manga appeared in USA Today's best-selling book list for the week ending February 26th. Most notable was Naruto Volume 9, which ranked 29th, the highest ever rank achieved by a manga. The volume was ranked in position 147 the previous week. The other manga titles in book list this week were Roruni Kenshin, Volume 24, in position 116, and Death Note, Volume 4, in position 118. Marvel Comics announced that writer Mark Carey and artist Pasquale Ferry, who did the two Ultimate Fantastic Four X-Men specials, will be the regular team on Ultimate Fantastic Four following the departure of that title's current creators, writer Mark Millar and artist Greg Land. The new team will debut with issue number 33, and their run will feature appearances by Ultimate Thanos, Ultimate Ronan, and others. These have been your top comic book headlines. For more information on these stories and others, visit us at www.aroundcomics.com. All right, that's your comics news. Uh, looks like a lot of news out of uh, Tokyo and manga this week. Uh, we'll bring it a little bit uh, closer to home. Uh, the news about Dark Horse... <laughs> They are going to double their manga output to 70 titles. Uh, is this uh, an idea of things to come, Tom? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know much about manga, so I just gave you the worst, most vague answer I could Well, I mean, you, you know, you... every week we, we get more and more manga news, and, and that seems to be what's out there on the wires, so... It, it just kind of becomes more and more apparent to me that manga is becoming more of the mainstream and and not oh, yeah, the, yeah. the underground in American comics. Uh, is this just kind of a, a calm before the storm with, uh, with Dark Horse announcing this, that our comics are going to go more and more to the manga format? Well, I don't know. I mean... You look at that other story about the USA Today bestseller list. I mean, you have two, you know, three top, you know, 100 or, or whatever bestseller books are manga books. You know, you don't see any Marvel or DC comic, you know, trades in that list. Um, they're doing something right. I, I think the rest of the industry obviously knows that. But at the same time, the story about Dark Horse, you may, you know, it, it may have been sort of a reaction to. Um, you know, Mega Tokyo leaving Dark Horse for DC's the, the DC announcement. So I don't know how you know how far to look into that, but it is it is interesting that you know if they're going to have over seventy titles, you know, next year, uh, you know that that's that's a huge shift in Absolutely. what they're doing. Yeah. You know, we we had alluded uh, a little bit earlier in the show that this is a a four part series 
talking back to the DC. We're going to talk about Marvel, and then we're going to talk about indie, and then we're going to dedicate a show to manga. It's it's becoming more and more important in American comics, and I, I think we're going to take a look at our manga really comics, you know, for the traditional comic book fan, or is it a completely different creature? So uh, we're going to dedicate an entire episode to that. So we'll, we'll move on. I want to talk about the speakeasy closing its doors. Uh, a friend of the show, Steve Bryant, is an artist for um, uh, Athena Voltaire, and which was printed by Speakeasy. Uh, once again, another small comic book publisher is closing its doors. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Depressing. As you know, no one gets into publishing comics because they think they're going to make a million dollars. So, you know, these people, it's someone's dream that's kind of taken a turn for the worst. So that's always kind of depressing. Well, what's, yeah, I mean, what's really depressing about it is that the guy that, you know, owned Speakeasy was a multimillionaire um, before, <laughs> you know, he got into it. So if he can't yeah. keep it running... Man, that yeah. that's you know that's sad, but you know from from what I've heard, you know I, I know Warren Ellis spoke out about it, and a few other people have spoke out about it quite a bit, and they, they've all sort of said that you know they made the classic mistakes that new publishers make uh, in that they put out too many titles without any real solid marketing plan. Um, yeah. You know they they had a couple of titles with some small success and on that they just started pumping out titles without really any plan to, to get them into stores um, and and that's really what led to their downfall but it, it is sad to see another another small publisher go because well, it, it's too bad because Speakeasy was putting out some good titles now one of the big knocks that I had heard on them is you know everything that we basically complain about Marvel and DC is that there were late titles. A speakeasy book would hit the market and they were hitting with a lot of them, but they weren't hitting with a monthly frequency. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is the, the the quickest way to ward off consumers is to come out with a good book and then not come out with it with the next issue a month later. Whenever you're two and three and four or six months in between issues, that's going to kill your your consumer market. Absolutely. So, yeah. um, uh, looking uh, at uh, the Marvel and Top Cow, uh, I'm not exactly for sure how that partnership breaks down, uh, whether it's uh, Top Cow artists being able to come over and work for Marvel without the uh, the exclusive or, or whatever. Um, I, I do like the idea of Silvestri doing some work at Marvel again. So, uh, Any thoughts on that, guys? I think it'll be interesting. I mean, I mean, you know, it, it is going to be basically artists coming over and doing fill-ins and cover work and that kind of thing. You know, Silvestri and, and I like. I'd like to see. I, I will enjoy seeing Tyler Kirkham try and do uh, a couple of uh, Spider-Man issues because I do enjoy his art. But uh, you know, I, is it a prelude to maybe? a more serious relationship between Marvel and Top Cow? You know, a more I involved... Maybe. Uh, yeah, uh, and this is something I'll, I'll ask Tom. As far as, you know, they make a big deal about cover artists. I keep seeing this in, you know, previews or Wizard or whatever. It's like, you know, Michael Turner cover. Um, <laughs> I stopped example. buying comics based on the cover a long time ago. Am I in the minority? Yeah. Do, you, do you buy a, a comic because it has a McFarlane cover or whatever? Yes, 
<laughs> liar! Of course. Liar. liar. I want a book of just covers. They have those. <laughs> it's, they, have they do have the them. Cover, I want a hard cover. It's like a... No, I, I... You could put anything on the cover, and if it's a good... You know, like... I know a book is crap, but it has a sweet cover. I'm not going to pick it up just to have the cover. No, I, mean, I, like I... Books cost $3. I'm not going to spend $3 for a Michael Turner poorly body position drawing. You know, well, no, like, don't knock on Michael Turner, but I, but I think what I'm getting at is that... <laughs> is that uh, and I like some of his stuff, but well, I think what I'm getting at is that, you know, we're all in our 30s, and, and Marvel, DC... Image. We remember the '90s. We remember the whole cover game. Don't don't you try and trick us again, because we remember, and we tell the younger kids too. I'm 27. Yeah, but don't forget one. Don't forget one thing that it, you may not buy it because of the cover, but you might not buy it because of the cover. Um, you may not. You know what I mean? And what I mean by that is if if a book doesn't have a cover that you are attracted to, you may never pick it up long enough to see. You know, if it is something uh, you want to buy, I guess kind of. But maybe that—that's true. If it's an if it's an indie book, or if it's something that's you know a, a minor publisher. But you know, if it's Amazing Spider-Man, I I really don't care who draws the cover. If I know that you know Straczynski's writing it and Romita is drawing the interiors, I I don't really care what the cover looks like. Well, that once again, that's us. We're old and jaded, and you know. Yeah, yeah, but exactly. there's plenty of people um, that I think there's some covers. youngsters out there right now furiously searching for. It. Awesome covers. Exactly. You know, speaking of awesome covers in the '90s and all, and all that stuff, we got a perfect story here. Um, Spawn and Batman. <laughs> I could honestly not care less about Spawn and Batman. Um, am well, especially I since it's probably jaded? gonna it's probably gonna cost you thirty bucks because it's coming with a statue. I <laughs> don't care. I don't care. I'm. Th- uh, we talked about DC. And everything awesome that they are doing, and breaking away from everything that was really crappy about you know the '90s, and Spawn and Batman, I could give a crap. Am I old and jaded? There is yes a worse. <laughs> they could have somehow found a way to squeeze the Punisher. <laughs> Spawn, Punisher, <laughs> Batman crossover. And Wolverine shows up on the last page. Yeah, everyone, be... everyone be happy. It, you know, it'll it'll sell a ton of copies. Uh, there, there. You know, I, 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 we could talk about this being such an irrelevant marketing push to just sell issues. You know, till the cows come home, and it's it's going to sell. You know, like it, this will sell a hundred times more than any single issue of Local or Walking Dead, and that just pisses me off. But yeah, but you I, know what? The, you just need a you need a local that takes place with Spawn in it. You know, yeah. But you know what? Would, right. What would really sell that book? It would be the easiest thing to sell. You know, a couple hundred thousand copies is if Todd McFarlane actually drew something again. <laughs> you know, instead you of statue. designing you statues. Get, you get the statue. Oh, Walking Dead, that, Punisher, know. Spawn, Batman. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna Local raise is a supermarket. Yeah. I'm gonna raise a challenge to our listeners, and we are on iTunes now, so there's there's scads more of you than there were in previous episodes that we've had. So welcome to the show. But it, it oh. when you see Spawn, Batman come out, put it down, 
walk to your left and ask your shop owner if he carries Brian Woods local and and pre and pick that up or or Walking Dead or s- something else. We um, have more listeners now. We, we <laughs> there, there are more it. people out there, believe it or not. <laughs> and local uh, does have cool covers too. Yeah, <laughs> and interior. Brian Woods, and all, you know that guy amazes me with it. Like some of the design stuff he does. He's my a, absolute favorite creator uh, of 2006 so far. All right. Period. Um, more Japan stuff. Um, they've been sending uh, comics over to us with manga. Now we're sending our heroes over there. Teen Titans go to Japan. Are they going to draw them with the guys? Well, you look at the. I think it's it's just a takeoff of the Cartoon Network cartoon. I think they're using that same. So it's already, already sort of manga guys. mangaized, okay. and to some degree, anyway. Uh, we also saw some stuff from uh, Boom Studios. Uh, Brian, you've turned into a fan of Boom. Why don't you tell us a little bit about them? Well, you know, I don't know a ton about Boom Studios other than it seems like um, almost uh, image-like in the early days of Image. It's a bunch of creators getting together and doing their own thing, and the the difference is they're putting out, you know, really good quality stuff <laughs> right away. Um, I, I picked up uh, Zombie uh, Zombie World number one, which was a, an anthology. It was it was I think six short zombie stories. And yeah, you know, there's a ton of zombie stuff out there, but um, but this was all different uh, takes on you know more like short stories, but all in one way or another about zombies. And it was a, it was it was fun, interesting little little read, um, good artwork. Uh, I also picked up from them um, Hero Square uh, Hero Squared Squared, <laughs> mm-hmm. which yes. is um, uh, oh gosh, I can't think of the guys. The guys that did uh, JLA, Giffen, uh, De Mateus. yeah, yeah. Um, so they did Planetary Brigade. Yeah, Planetary yeah. Brigade. That's yeah. It's, yeah. This, it's I think it's this, some of the same characters. Yep, it's the same. And uh, and it was funny, um, you know, real outrageous kind of JLA comedy thing, and and they're putting out good stuff. I think they're going to be a, a force to be reckoned with here. Well, um, hopefully, hopefully they don't go the way of speakeasy. So, uh, uh, it, boom! If you're listening, uh, keep keeping those issues come out and get them out every month, and we will continue to buy them. Um, that should uh, wrap up Wire to Wire comic news. Uh, let's move on to top of the stack. Top, top of the stack. Of the stack, the stack, the stack. That's right. It is top of the stack. Our chance to tell you what we have been reading in the last week and let you know what we think about it. I'll start out my top of the stack this week. Uh, this is a book that a lot of people know about. I hope a lot of people are reading, but if they are not, this is the time to hop on. It is called Ex Machina. It is written by Brian K. Vaughn. It uh, comes out under the Wildstorm imprint. has a retail of $2.99. Uh, Ex Machina is a very untraditional superhero story. The main character does have superpowers, but that is, uh, without a doubt, not the focus of the book. This is a title that is filled with uh, political undertones, with a lot of intrigue, uh, supernatural superpowers, a little bit of everything. Um, it, we could dedicate an entire episode talking to uh, 
Ex Machina, but I will tell you that it is one of Brian K. Vaughn's best books, and Brian K. Vaughn is definitely one of the better writers in comics. If you have not checked it out, please do so. If you like politics, if you like superpowers, if you like uh, mixed horror, it is all in there. This is a book that offers a lot to a lot of different readers, so please check out Ex Machina. Sal, what is your top of the stack? Uh, well, mine's a little little different this week. I picked up um, uh, Girls by the Luna Brothers, the first trade paperback. It collects the first six issues of Girls. Um, it is uh, Volume 1, Conception. And, you know, before I picked it, there was a lot of buzz about this. I had heard a lot of people uh, really talking about um, this book and the Luna Brothers' other book, Ultra. I think Ultra was their first book. Um, I had read a few issues of Ultra. It wasn't really something I enjoyed. I don't know. I, I just didn't get into it for whatever reason. Uh, but I did end up picking this up over the weekend and read it. Um, and it was completely different than what I thought it was going to be. It was absolutely nothing like I thought it was going to be. Uh, it is uh, written and uh, layouts by Joshua Luna and art by Jonathan Luna, their brothers, put out by Image Comics. Um it basically tells us, it starts off with a small town called Penny t- uh, Penny's Town. Uh, it doesn't say where. It's rur- a very small little rural town um, with a population of about 65. Uh, and we get to know the main character. We, we're int- quickly introduced to the main character, Ethan, who's um, probably mid-twenties, sort of uh, a little bit nebbishness about him, but likable nonetheless. Um, very fascinated with girls as anyone else is um and ethan has a problem with girls he doesn't understand them uh he can't communicate with them he's always sort of having a hard time understanding it and it really um it really shows up in the very beginning the the luna brothers write uh almost ironically they they play with words a lot and and it's fun to read they in between the conversations of the characters they they um you know the, the the character will say one thing and mean something else and and you're sort of stuck trying to uh to figure it out panel to panel um but anyway ethan goes on um and get and one night he he gets very uh drunk at the local bar and ends up uh sort of yelling at all the women in town because he's just fed up at that point with a lot of things that have gone on in his, in his life at the end of that uh, he gets tossed out of the bar by the local co- uh, sheriff, and um, and immediately uh, there's this loud boom heard, uh, and it stops everybody, and, and the rain stops, and it's just this really strange event. Well, he gets up and gets in his car, and he's driving home, and he almost runs over someone. Someone's, uh, all of a sudden, someone appears in the middle of the road, and, and he almost runs this person over. He gets out of his car, and it's this very beautiful naked woman standing in the middle of the road. Um I don't want to go too any further because I don't want to spoil anything about this book. Uh, just suffice it to say, it it goes from there um, to completely different than than what you might imagine it would. It, it, it's a very science fictionish sort of story in some regards. Um, it almost plays, you know, or, or pays homage to some science fiction stuff. 
but it's you know it's all about these characters and it's very you know it's very indie in one way that it's all about the characters and their own emotions and personalities but then you have these other elements that come into this town and at the end of the run at the end of the six issues um i just i immediately wanted to go and pick up the rest of of the books uh, that are out there i think they're on issue 11 or 12 right now so i'm i'm desperately awaiting the second trade but it it was a great read and the the art's fantastic and the layouts are great the the the, they really know what they're doing i mean it's not hodgepodge or thrown together that they certainly plan their layouts and and what they're trying to accomplish with the story with them so i highly recommend girls it was it was fun entertaining and i look forward to seeing more from the luna brothers i i keep hearing good things about uh, girls and uh, and the Luna Brothers. One of the things on the art and I'll compare this to Ex Machina, uh, Tony Harris does the art on Ex Machina and that with the Luna Brothers. It's something that you're going to look at that you haven't seen in other books and I love that in that you, you have something that is beautiful to look at but is different than anything else that you've seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom, uh, what do you have for your top of the stack this week? Uh, I figured since we're talking about DC, I would pick a Marvel book that people aren't buying. So I was going to say, <laughs> if, if you said Infinite Crisis, I was going to hunt you down. No, it's too obvious <laughs> of a joke. Uh, I'm picking uh, The Thing by uh, Dan Slott and Andrea... Oh, I'm going to screw this up probably. DeVito, looks like how it's uh, pronounced, but that's just a guess. And... Uh, it is a really fun Marvel book to read, um, especially now that uh, the tone in a lot of these companies has gotten kind of serious. It's nice to find a book that kind of plays around with continuity, but is you know still well written. In the uh, third issue, just something that was just unbelievably awesome was uh, he's fighting a Hulk robot. The thing is fighting a Hulk robot and a whole bunch of Hulk robots. That looked like the Hulk from all the different incarnations that he's been written. And then at one point, a bunch of Thing robots come out that are all the different incarnations of the Thing. And it's just little stuff like that, little nods to the past, but still, you know, you can follow it if you don't know a ton of Marvel. And, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's really fun. And, you know, when the FF show up in it, you know, it's written, you know, better than how the Fantastic Four is usually written in the main book, you know. You get to see, you know, the Human Torch acts like sort of, you know, a pompous jerk, and Reed Richards is sort of, you know, absent-minded and, you know, Mr. Wise, you know, man on top of everything. But uh, it's just, it's fun. I read it, you know, the last issue had Lockjaw and the Inhumans, and it had a scene with the Thing wearing a shirt and pants, which I think is always, like, Awesome to see someone <laughs> that, you know. Like, yeah, yeah, Tom, I want to jump in here real quick. One, one of the things that Sal and I have talked about, and, and then you and I talked about, is that how serious comics have been, and it just seems really hard to find fun, just, you know, books like we used to read whenever we were kids. And yeah. it, it's such this weird double edged sword of, you know, oh, we don't want campy, silly, but, you know, why can't books be like they used to be? And it's something that we, we keep writing back and forth. And Dan Slott just seems to have that pegged down in how to write a fun book that is still good to read. Yeah. Well, like, and uh, I was going to say, like you were saying before, Chris, you know, he, he thumbs his nose at the industry, you know, standard of of 
you know, seriousness and dark and and continuity laden, you know. But he's a talented enough writer that he can get away with it. Yeah, he he's good and he's able to pull it off. But he's fun. Every, everyone I've talked to said that She Hulk was one of the best ongoing series in the last couple of years. Yeah, I was gonna pick that, but the thing's sales are incredibly low, and I'm worried that it'll get canceled. So I think poor the Ben. Thing. Yeah. It's 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 better than the Fantastic Four book, <laughs> like you know. It's the characters are written better, you know, which is weird. At least in my opinion, I I read this, and characters show up, and Dan Slott has a way of making them serious characters. But you know, even the most serious person you know in real life does funny things or acts in a funny way sometimes, intentional or not. So. I don't know. Uh, yeah, sometimes hey, he made, grim and gritty isn't real. You know? he, <laughs> no more real than funny things happening. He so. made suicide funny in jail or in GLA, the Great Lakes. Yeah, of, you know? <laughs> he has a way it, of doing, you know, taking those little things and making, yeah. You know, Dan laugh. Dan Slott has started to become a favorite writer by a lot of people. It, do you think that Marvel is going to catch on to this and give him a serious book, or would that kind of ruin it? Do you do you want to see Ooh. him continue to write um, books where he has the the, the freedom to to kind of stay funny? I what? think so. It'd be weird to see him do you know like a major Spider Man because I don't think people <laughs> want that. Or people don't want the Punisher, but I bet you he could do a Fantastic Four though, because that's a different, yeah, could. Yeah. different kind of book. You know, he could do that adventure and and uh, you know. I think he would be awesome on Spider Man. I think he would write an awesome Spider Man. I think he would write anything awesome. It's just would people, you know, I could see people throwing, you know, a hissy fit because all of a sudden Amazing Spider Man is. You know, like people get freaked out by books that are supposed to be funny. Like people are like, "Oh, you know, uh, comics aren't supposed to be funny." Comic, you know, but there's a difference <laughs> between yeah, the comic books not supposed to be funny. It's supposed to be very serious, and Spider-Man's supposed to have tons of problems. But you can well, write maybe sophisticated you put him humor. On a, well, yeah. maybe you put him on a book like Friendly Neighborhood after Peter David is done. Yeah, yeah well, isn't that, that supposed to like, be? Yeah. You know the 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 funny you know Spider-Man because you know that's been always the thing with Spider-Man is that he's always very clever and very quick and you have kind of the the funny witticisms that he brings to it and I think Dan Slott would do that to yeah. a T. Yeah, but it might just ruin him. You know what? Let, let him stick with these B-level or these you know secondary characters. I can't call the thing a B-level character, but yeah, but, he is. Those well, are it is clobbering time. <laughs> that's right, baby. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. It, it, the Fantastic Four are Marvel's first family, but they—I don't know. FF has a lot of problems, and that's that's a subject for another show. But uh, <laughs> uh, thank you guys for your top of the stack. I do want to mention a couple things before we wrap up the show. Uh, number one, this uh, will be our first episode that I think is uh, officially released on iTunes before. Uh, before its initial release. So uh, if you are new to the show as a listener, thank you. We uh, we appreciate you taking the time to, to hear what 
we think. If you would like to contact us, please send us uh, an email at info at aroundcomics.com. Let us know. Or you can visit us on our forum. Please go to aroundcomics.com. Click on the forum. You will notice that you'll be redirected to the Comic Geek Speak forum. That's uh, our good buddies over at Comic Geek Speak, another wonderful podcast, which you have probably already heard of. Uh, please vote for us at Podcast Alley. All those votes really matter to us. Uh, Sal, do you have any other announcements or requests for everyone? No, just uh, you know, uh, well, send us your emails. We'd love to read some uh, listener emails on the you know on the show. If you got any comments or anything, I know I know we've had a lot of comments on the forum. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'd love to, you know, have people actually email stuff that we can read, or you know, just say hello, or tell uh, tell us what you like or don't like, or whatever. Just uh, send us your emails, and, and we'll read them on the show. Uh, I'll Absolutely. email you guys next week. Uh, not you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. uh, to uh, to recap, we talked about it a little bit at the beginning of the show, and then a little bit later, we are starting a four week um, event here. Um, it's it's Crisis on Infinite Around Comics. No, not really. We, we, today we talked about uh, the state of the DC universe. We're going to talk about the state of the Marvel universe next week. Then we're going to come back and talk about indie comics and how uh, the entire indie world has evolved and changed. And then we're going to dedicate an episode to manga. If you have any thoughts or comments on any of those, please send them to us and we would love to read them on the air. But uh, I think that will wrap up another episode of Around Comics. Thank you for listening, and check us out again next week. If you would like to suggest a topic, send us your comments, or are interested in becoming a panel member, Email us at info at aroundcomics.com or visit the Contact Us section of our website. For that and the latest in comics news and opinions, go to www.aroundcomics.com. Music for this show provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network, music.podshow.com. Thank you for listening today, and remember to join us next week, where the panel will change, but our mission stays the same, bringing you the best in discussion, news, and reviews in and around comics.